to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we have uh, some very popular guests back. Captains Chris and Elise Caldwell will be with us. Uh, they're from Captain Chris Yacht Services. And they're going to talk to us some more about finding the perfect boat, um, kind of the rest of the story. If some of our regular listeners remember, they were with us a few months ago talking about some cruising fundamentals. And most of those things we uh, discussed at that time, we could do an entire podcast just on each of the topics we covered that day, and there were several. So we're coming back now on very short notice. So thank you to Chris and Elise for agreeing to do this with me. Um, we're, again, we're going to talk about Your Perfect Boat, one of their cruising fundamentals. We'll give you the rest of the story. Before we jump into that, I want to take a moment and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, United Yacht Sales of the Carolinas, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Chris and Elise Caldwell, thank you for coming back to Great Loop Radio. Good morning. It's our pleasure. We are going to talk today about your perfect boat, and this is kind of part of a series that you all have, or usually it's kind of a longer topic of cruising fundamentals with the fun capitalized. Um, but to try and cover it in the 20 to 30 minutes that we have for this format, um, breaking it into smaller pieces makes sense. So today's piece is your perfect boat. So let's kind of jump into that. How do you know what the perfect boat is for you? Because it's different for everyone. Absolutely. Well, one of the first things that I say in just about any kind of presentation that we make is this is pleasure boating. We're supposed to be having fun. And for most of us, if we do it the right way, if we do it correctly, it is fun. But I realize that there's a small portion out there of people who get into it and think, oh, boy, what did I do? And I have to say it's probably because they didn't do all of the um, research and, and due diligence to figure out if this was the right lifestyle for them. So it's supposed to be fun. Start with that premise. And if, it, if you veer off track a little bit, reassess and figure out what are you doing that's making it not so fun. And the first piece of it is having the right boat for you. Now, we see lots of different boats out there. And one person's beautiful, perfect boat is maybe not the right boat for you or for what you want to do with the boat. Obviously, we're talking to people who are thinking about looping or in the process of looping, and that's terrific, and that's a great uh, adventure to go on. But are you going to do the loop in one fell swoop, one whole year? Are you going to do it in portions? Do you need a larger boat? Is a smaller boat okay because you're only on it for short periods of time? So you have to figure out what your mission is for your boat and figure out, uh, how much fun that's going to be for you. So the first thing that I want to think about is many people who have been boating for many years come up from smaller boats and gradually add, we call that one or two foot-itis, where they keep adding a little bit bigger boat, another bigger boat, another bigger boat. And that makes sense that you can then find that perfect boat for the loop and go because you know about boating. But one of the things that we have um, 
have to recognize is that many of the people who are listening to this podcast and who belong to the Great Loop have never owned a boat before. So as one of our our students in one of our classes said, before I came to the class, I didn't know what I didn't know. And that's a huge piece of it. He said, you taught me how to see what I was looking at. And I'll get into that in a little bit more detail, but let's go back and out of the car realm. I mean, out of the boat realm and into the cars. Most of us have been in cars and most of us have driver's licenses. But when we were 16 or 17 years old, our parents didn't hand us the keys to the car and a brand new car and say, go for it. Have fun. We spent our childhood years in the back seat of the car. Sometimes you called shotgun and you got to ride in the front seat. And you got to see what your parents were doing or your older sibling was doing in the, in the, um, in the driver's seat. And then you learned either from driver's ed in school or your parents took you out. And then you took a test to do it. And then you got behind the wheel and still for a while, sometimes our parents were over in that passenger side wishing there was a brake pedal over there, right? So we took time to learn the process of a car. So really, why should a boat be any different? Yes, we can learn a little faster as adults. We can do a lot of research as adults, but we still should do our research and learn what we don't know before we actually go out there. And part of that then helps us determine whether the boat is right for us or not. So Chris is going to get into budget part of it. Well, everybody talks about budget, but budget comes in two forms. One is time, and the other one, of course, is money. So when you're budgeting for a boat, you're looking at not just the purchase price of the boat and then, of course, insurance and marina fees, but also operational expenses fuel filters, oil filters, oil changes, maybe rubber, raw water, impeller, spares, and changes. And then here's the key thing, maintenance. Do you want to stay ahead of the maintenance curve by doing recommended maintenance at periodic intervals, or do you want to operate it and drive it until it breaks? Uh, Going back to the car, you get your oil changed every X thousand miles. In the old days, it used to be every 3,000 miles. Now with the modern cars, they're talking about every 5,000 miles. So you know by looking at your odometer when you have an expected oil change coming up. On your boat, you look at the hour meter, how many hours are on the engine, how many hours are on the generator. So those are some maintenance items. And in budgeting, do you want to hire somebody to do that at $100 an hour plus parts, mind you, that's retail price on the parts, or do you want to learn how to do it yourself and buy the parts like the oil filters and the gallons of oil at better prices? Um, One of the three W's, of course, is Walmart. (laughs) So maybe you can buy oil at Walmart for 15 bucks a gallon rather than paying retail of it for about 40 to 45 bucks a gallon. So those are some of the budget things that you need to think about. And I also want to shift gears and talk about your house. If you're house shopping and you drive up to a house, curb appeal is a big deal in the real estate world. So you drive up to a house, you look at the sidewalk, you look at the grass, you look at the landscaping, you look at the door, you look at the gutters, you look at the roof, you look at the walls. 
that's only on the outside. Then on the inside, you look at the condition of other things. So when you're boat shopping, you need to stand back, look at the big picture, learn what it is that you're looking at. Not what you're seeing, but what you're looking at. Example, if a um, the engine is painted white, but something's a different color white, you got to figure. The manufacturer painted the whole thing white. Why is this a different color of white? And the answer may be it was replaced. So then you have to ask, why was it replaced? Was it a normal wear and tear, or was it a failure item? So those are some of the things that you want to open your eyes to. And when Chris talks about the house, again, we all know how to live in a house. We've lived in houses for all of our lives, most of us. Some of us were lucky enough to live on boats for a while. But if the house is all you know, you know it. That's the point. If you've never owned a large boat before, if you've never owned the size of the boat that you are thinking about to go looping on, and you don't know what the systems are, you don't know about the living conditions in a boat, that's something that you want to do a little bit more research on so that you have a better understanding as part of that budget, what are you going to be able to do yourself what additional things are you going to need to pay to upgrade? Um, if canvas, you, people say, oh, you know, in a house you can just paint the walls if you don't like the color. Well, if you don't like the canvas, first of all, finding a canvas maker is always an interesting endeavor. And then having it made delays a little bit of your time for if you're not just going to be able to put in the key and turn the, turn the ignition and go. You have to wait to have some of this work done. So when you're when you do look for your boat and you have this budget in mind, don't think of all the money going to purchasing the boat. Think of some of it for some of your maintenance and your day-to-day expenses. Okay? Uh, Other things to think about, of course, we're talking to loopers, but not everybody loops next week. You might be six months or a year away from looping. So when you're looking to buy your boat, you need to think what is involved in boating. Outdoor activities, indoor activities, uh, where would you store dock lines, where would you store fenders, spare parts, oil, things like that, and then your deckhand and the helmsman. Usually we have couples in the looping environment, so one person's driving and one person's the deckhand, so time and motion is a big deal. Can your deckhand get from here to there? and move all of the dock lines and move all of the fenders? And can you see the deckhand as they're moving from side to side? So you need to watch that person in case they're having a struggle, in case they fall overboard, or in case they're not prepared and you try to dock and they're not ready for you to dock. So visibility is an issue. I like to look at a deck plan that keeps me on board. (laughs) I don't want to have to be sidewalking up on the side deck to the bow. I want to have something that's wide enough with good enough hand grasps in places so that I always can have a hand for the boat. And again, this goes back to what kind of boating do you want to do? For those of you who are just used to boating for the weekend, this is going to be a little different every day, especially if you go into the locks. You want to have something, and there's lots of lovely designs out there that make it easy for you to go through the locks and do that. Now, guess overnight is something else that I want to really have you think through. And everybody is different. But I will tell you, all your friends that said, oh, yeah, we're coming. We're going to come meet you along the way, and we're going to travel with you. Unless they're retired, 
they don't usually have that much time. And your family is going to come to you wherever you are, and they're going to sleep wherever you put them. So don't buy a boat specifically for your guests. Buy a boat that works for the two of you that is going to feel good living aboard as well as boating aboard. You want to make sure it's specifically for you. And your guests, if they're friends, which friends or family, those are really the ones that you're going to invite to come along, they're going to sleep wherever you put them, even if it's on a settee or an air mattress in the salon. So don't think about buying a boat for your guests. Think about buying it and, and the type of boating that you want to do, that you're going to do. So far, we've talked about a lot of things about crew members, sleeping, maintenance. But the real big question is, can you handle this boat? Are you moving up from a 20-footer to a 30-footer, a 30 to a 40, or 40 to a 50? Is this your first boat ever in your whole life? Have you moved from a 20 to a 45? So you've got to figure, can you handle the boat? And I'll give you a hint. The larger boats are often easier to handle than the little ones that bob around off of the trailer. So don't be afraid of it. You just have to learn the right way to do it. The bigger boats with the bigger engines and bigger rudders are often easier to handle. And then we're talking about you, but remember there's two parts in the crew. Mm -hmm. What about your partner? In the boating world, we have a phrase called the reluctant spouse. So is your spouse game? Are they interested? Are they eager and exciting? Are they doing it because it's your idea? That's very key as to buying a boat at all or buying the right boat to make everybody happy and satisfied. Mm -hmm. And then some of the mechanical things about the right boat, there's the never-ending argument (laughs) or discussion of single engine versus twin engine, bow thruster or stern thruster or both. And then we anchor a lot. So the question is dinghy storage. A lot of people want a dinghy. There's a separate discussion about dinghies. But if you've got one, where do you put it? Is it easy to launch and recover? And if you store it on the back of the boat on the swim platform and you back your boat into a marina with floating docks, is it impeding your accessibility to get on and off of the boat because the dinghy's in your way? By the way, your boat is probably three or four or five feet longer, which is putting you into the higher real estate brackets when you're having to pay X dollars per foot per night in a marina. And before we go to break, what I want to just um, offer to anyone who's still out there thinking about single versus twin and has this misconception that a twin engine boat is always going to be twice the cost of maintaining and running it, we have a, a, a cost of cruising article that compares a sailboat to a twin engine to a single engine boat of all of similar sizes and we'd be glad to um, to help you. If you can't find it on our site, just send us a, an email to chris at captainchrisyachtservices.com and we'll send you a link to that article so that, that can help you make your decision. Chris and Elise, these are great tips, great pieces of advice for those of us who are looking for a boat, whether it's for the Great Loop or for general cruising for now. Um, We are going to take that commercial break that Elise mentioned, um, and when we come back, we'll cover some additional information, um, and we'll also touch on the survey, which is, of course, an important piece of buying that boat. We'll be back in a moment. 
AGLCA Admiral Sponsored Dog River Marina is located at the mouth of the Tentom Waterway in Mobile, Alabama, only 22 miles from the Gulf of Mexico. The marina encompasses 95 slips, 80 of which are sheltered. They offer a ship store, courtesy car, rental cars, 24-hour guard service, and shore power. The complex's full-service repair facility is staffed with highly trained personnel to handle everything from simple repairs to complex overhauls. For more information, visit www.dogriver.com. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Our guests this week are Captains Chris and Elise Caldwell with Captain Chris Yacht Services, and they are filling us in on some cruising fundamentals. We're talking about your perfect boat. Um, so, Chris and Elise, uh, pick up where we left off. I know the next topic you wanted to touch on is that looks can be deceiving. Oh, absolutely, looks can be deceiving. You pull up, um, well, first of all, you, you've done so much research on the Internet, right? And everybody loves to look at pictures of boats on the Internet. And uh, somebody's got their boat for sale, and I hate to burst your bubble, but oftentimes those are not recent pictures. So it's always a good question to ask is, are those the most recent photographs of the boat that you're looking at before you actually go to see the boat? Because now you pull up to see this boat, and it may be just like it said in the pictures, or it might be something that looks a little more forlorn. Maybe it's been neglected. Maybe it's sat at the dock for a year, which doesn't always mean it's in bad shape, but it just may not be as polished and, and shiny as, as you were hoping when you looked at the picture. But additionally, looking at something that has brand-new canvas or beautiful new paint jobs or terrific um, coverings on the uh, fabric of the um, settee or the helm chair, and you say, wow, this boat's in great shape. That's, again, where you have to understand to learn to see what you're looking at. Are these brand-new just band-aids, or are they a sign of the way the rest of the boat is being maintained? So you've got to look a little deeper at the system, and you have to see what you're looking at and understand the condition that these things are in. And that goes back to that budget we talked about as well. Okay, you know, some of these things might be very easily remedied, but if you don't know what it is that you're looking at in the first place, you could be easily um, swayed by the, the looks of something. So, that's a DIY stuff, right? Well, the other question, of course, is cruising. And unless you've got a bucket full of money, you might be doing a lot of repairs yourself, do-it-yourself repairs, or actually preventive maintenance. So decide what you feel that you're capable of or interested in doing yourself. And I would recommend learning how to do oil changes, fuel filter changes, raw water and power changes, and cleaning your seawater strainers. And just learn to look and see what's normal. Because even if you decide you don't work, you seeing and understanding when something isn't normal anymore, then you can call someone in to take a look at it before it becomes a big problem. And that's where looking in your engine room every day and looking for any um, for dribbles or rust marks of that sort will help make a lot of um easy work out of preventive maintenance. The key thing here is do not fall in love with the boat. I hate to say it, but boats are like cars. 
He makes plenty of them. And if this boat is not perfect for you, move on and look at the next boat. Engine room access is another concern. Depending upon your size and your mobility, uh, let's say that you've got a bum hip or a bum knee and you can't crawl around, you may not be able to check the oil on the engine every day or to check the transmission or to flip from the rear fuel tank to the forward fuel tank. And I'm saying this because I was asked to preview a boat yesterday, a 47-foot-long boat with twin engines, and we could lift the hatches and we could see the engines, but we could not get to the engines. We had to walk forward to the middle stateroom, lift up the stairs, get on my hands and knees, and crawl 12 feet back to the engine. And depending upon what kind of mobility you have and what kind of size you are, and I'm 6 feet 200, and I had difficulty doing it, so those are things that you need to keep in mind as well. And all of this is before you make the offer on the boat and before you go to survey. So let's talk about surveys. This is a real big, hot topic on the forum. Every week we see a lot of people asking for a good surveyor. A lot of people say do not take the recommendations of your broker, but I disagree with that partially. Your broker is hopefully weeding out some of the surveyors that are not so good. So he should, or she, your broker, should give you a list of three, four, five, six surveyors that they found that they work well together. So you can go through that list. Or, of course, you can start from zero and go on the Internet and try to find a surveyor. Interview the surveyor, which would be simple. Have you ever done a trawler? Have you ever done a sailboat? Have you ever done a jet ski? Because you want somebody with experience in your particular boat. And then ask for a sample survey. And if they don't want to give you one, move along. If they do want to give you one, with computers and emails and attachments, they can redact or delete the name of the boat, the serial number of the boat, so you don't know who owns the boat, so that there's no confidentiality issues there. Then here's the key. I've been reading two surveys this morning. Learn to read between the lines. Sometimes they say things that look good, but they don't back up what they're saying. So read between the lines. I had one guy said operated at wide open throttle, which was correct. They went at wide open throttle. But six pages later, they admitted that they only achieved 2,600 RPM, and the engine is supposed to do 2,800 RPM. Read between the lines. Understand your purchase agreement relative to the outcome of the survey. If there's any discoveries in the survey that you may have to discount the price that you offered for the boat, or the seller may have to make the repairs included in the price of the offer of the boat, and you need to work with your broker on that. Your broker is your representative to help you interpret the survey and to negotiate uh, adjusted pricing for the boat that you're looking to buy. And the most important thing, be prepared to walk away. If the survey is not to your liking, or if a price adjustment is not to your liking, be prepared to walk away. Unless you're looking at a custom boat, 
There's another boat just like that that will be available tomorrow, next week, and next month. Plus, most all of these production boats out there on the market, and it might be another week or a month before another one comes available. It's just a ship, and then you can start over. Learning from your survey, you'll know what to look at much closer before you make an offer on the book. And quite frankly, that's a topic of the survey that we could do a two or three parter on because there's so much information that, you know, if you've never to be a, a daunting experience, it could be a lovely experience depending upon your surveyor and the condition of the boat, obviously. But the bottom line is, when you find that perfect just like when you find your perfect house, if you know how to boat, if you've learned some of these things beforehand, you can understand how you would boat looking at that boat, being inside of it, and you can understand that you're making the right choice. So you have to look at not just the price, not just the layout, not just the good deal, because a good deal may not be the good it may not be perfect for you, or you've got to do some more work to it. Or you might say, I love doing work on those, so then that's perfect for you. Or you might say, but look at three others of this price, with this layout, with this brand. Uh, this is in my price range. It's an understanding that I'm going to have to do a little bit of work to it, so I'll back to you better. Attend your classes, do your research, you know what you don't know and learn how to become agile and able to see what you are looking at so that you're not taken by surprise when you go on that survey. You'll be a much more informed buyer. You'll find the perfect person for you. And the be all end all is it will be fun for you. You will have a very good adventure. It will be um, exciting. It will be fun. Yeah, things great. That's not the big deal. Is, is it the right boat for you? Can you get in the engine room when something is a problem? Can you book it comfortably as many times as it is possible? Can you get into a rock easy enough and tie up enough or are you going to fight with it all the time because it doesn't have the right side depth on it? Or a cleat where the cleat should be. So these are the kinds of things to look at and understand and learn before you even start to go out looking at the boat so that you can have more fun while you're out there doing it. Anything else you want to add, Chris? I hate to use the phrase at the end of the day, but (laughs) it works here. At the end of the day, when you're tied up in the marina or that you're anchored watching the sunset, we want you to be happy with your boat. We want you to be comfortable we want you to eat well. We want you to sleep well. We want you to be confident with the boat that you've selected and the way that you plan to use it. So think hard about how you plan to use it. Time and motion is big in my way of thinking. Can you get around? Can you do things? And we want you to be happy while you're cruising. Pick a good boat that fits your lifestyle. 
Chris and Elisa, great information. We appreciate that. Um, you, of course, do give classes that covers this as well as a whole host of other boating fundament fundamentals. Um, tell us how people can find out more about those classes. Well, um, we have on our website, on our homepage, we have a calendar of events that talks to all of our classes. Our next one is going to be in July, July 28 and 29, called Cruising Fundamentals, Cruising 101. Uh, we do a two-day course on this with a lot of hands-on, although it is a workshop. Yeah, in a garage workshop, but uh, we'll teach you lines, we'll teach you about anchoring, we'll teach you how to navigate, uh, even a little bit of galley information. And then in September, we have a, another class uh, on, on introduction to boat systems. So it's going to teach you some basic maintenance and a lot of hands-on equipment for that. So you can really get comfortable with what to know before you actually go aboard the boat. Even if you don't own a boat, these two classes are, are, are courses that we do believe and we've gotten feedback from people who agree with us that it was so much more helpful to go looking at boats after they attended these classes because it helped them to be more educated buyers. And they, they're, they're small classes. We don't have a, a large group, so you've got an opportunity to get some hands-on, ask some questions that are pertinent to you, and, and meet some other boaters who are in the very same situation as you are. And they're, they're trying to learn as well. Some have gone to other classes and then come here too because you almost can't learn enough before you go out there and make This is a big decision for a lot of us. It's a, it's a big chunk of, of our budget, but it's a reward like no other. It truly is. So you can go to uh, CaptainChrisYachtServices.com and see all of the classes that we have on the bottom right side of our homepage. And if you have any questions at all, I know we say it all the time, ask Captain Chris. Just go chris at captainchrisyachtservices.com and send us a note, and we'll be glad to help you out and point you in the right direction. Chris and Louise Caldwell, thank you for joining us once again on Great Loop Radio. We appreciate it. Have fun. We'll see you on the water. Thank you, Cam. Thank, thank you, and thanks to our listeners. We'll be back again next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.